This edition of ESPN Speed World is brought to you by Honda, defending champions and holders of the past seven consecutive Supercross titles. Honda, come ride with us. We are on the final lap at Gatorback Cycle Park as the first race of the outdoor season coming to a close. Jeremy McGrath, David, with the other two riders with Albertine and LaRocco on the well. We've got another rider down, and I believe if we can get a look at the number plate, it looks like Phil Lawrence. Yeah, and this is the is. top of that elevator, so I don't know if he went down in the corner or tried to jump that double and ended up all the way up here, but he doesn't look very good right now. No, he looks like he's shaken up. Hopefully he wasn't hurt very seriously now as one of the workers talking to him. But getting back to McGrath, what a way to start the season for him. All he has to do is hang on, and he will get the overall victory. Well, it's going to be his first 250 outdoor national win, first one of the season, and I think he's proved everyone that he has arrived and he is a contender for the national title. No knack. I'm kind of disappointed. Well, he's got the flu. he got to remember, he probably didn't feel too good. He's got to be happy with his first outdoor win, though. He's got to be a Pulp MX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Presented by Maxxis Tires, Scott Goggles, and Pro Taper. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast. Thanks for listening, man. These are a ton of fun to do, and uh, really appreciate you people listening to them. Absolutely love getting the guys on the line to talk about some great races in the history of the sport. Today, it is Gainesville, 1995, and we'll tell you why it's significant in a moment here. But thanks to Lee at, guys. If you want to go to Liat.com and you see something you like, Send me an email using the contact form on Pulp MX. I'll get you a discount code, and it'll be really, really great things. Uh, you can see the Liat product, and the Smart Top guys, of course, uh, run Liat uh, goggles and, and gloves and gear and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Liat has introduced an impeccable new range of riding gear that will be worn by the likes of Supercross Team's Moto Concepts, Team Solitaire, in MXGP by FNH Kawasaki, and Johnny Walker at Extreme Hard Enduros. Through innovative problem-solving and thorough research, Liat's goal has remained that of a constantly involving their products to, to improve rider protection, comfort, and performance. The 5.5 jersey is a light, breathable construction with a tailored stretch fit. Unsurpassed, the 5.5 pants are made of a durable ripstop 360-degree stretch material that is virtually unbreakable. Liat.com for more information on that. And, of course, you know these guys uh, from the neck braces, and they do a good job with those, and they've totally revamped those in the last few years as well. So, Liat.com, thank you to those guys for coming on board. Pro Taper as well. Christian Craig right now crushing the 250 Supercross class with Pro Taper products, uh, whether it's the micro bar uh, for the little ones, or whether it's the Sella, the self-engaged launch assist system that you can set all by yourself, or whether it's a company that came up with the first uh, handlebar that does not have a crossbar. ProTaper.com for more information. Go to your local Tucker Power Sports dealer. Scott Goggles, Scott Sports has been providing the best in goggle tech for all motorsports disciplines in over 50 years, for over 50 years. Global leader innovation technology design. They've offered uh, goggles for uh, pro class, so, so grassroots guys, all the way up to uh, uh, teams like Pro Circuit, uh, Caleb Russell, Chad Wien, and Walker Fowler, and big win for Scott uh, the other night. Anaheim won. Anna, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Oakland with Jason Anderson wearing Scott. So very big moment for those guys. Uh, Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with the Reraceables podcast, many of which have included Scott Goggles. We had Brock Kepler on here just the other show talking about Scott Goggles, everybody. So thank you to them for coming on. Maxis Tires as well. Uh, great company over there at Maxis, uh, SGB Maxis team. Running Maxis Tires. Um, tire was developed by a guy named Jeremy McGrath, who may or may not be featured in this very episode. So thank you to the Maxxis Tire guys um, and mountain bike tires, like truck tires, everything else. So now that I've given you that spiel, I'm Steve Mathis with me to talk about Gainesville 95. It's Jason Wygant. What's up, Weege? Yeah. What's happening? Well, we knew eventually on this show we would have to have Jeremy McGrath and talk about Jeremy McGrath and talk to Jeremy McGrath. Yep. But you had a concept. You had a theory. I did. I really did. Again, the, the guy is the uh, all-time king of Supercross, 72 wins indoors, and that's great. But you know what? This dude was a badass outdoors. For a stretch of about two or three years, he was the best outdoor rider in the world. You could make that argument. And I wanted to say, if we're going to get McGrath on, we're going to talk outdoors. Mm -hmm. Because for a long time, we, the narrative was he can't win outdoors. Well, first it was he can't win Daytona. That's a man's track. Stanton, Kudrowski, he can't do anything there. He's only he's a flashy uh, Cali guy. Not in shape. Yeah, not can't in shape. Can't do rough tracks. So then yeah. he did that. Then he, uh, he can't win nationals. And yeah. he didn't for a long time. And this Gainesville 95 is his first ever 250 big bike win outdoors. He goes 3-1 for the overall um, at a track that uh, he does pretty well. That Gatorback, of course, Gainesville, long gone now. But iconic uh, national track for so many years. So, Weege, forget about Supercross. Yeah. I want to talk outdoors with McGrath. Also, I think it helps that there's some drama here because he had not won outdoors. And it was a bit of a, wow, this is a big deal. He's won 72 Supercrosses. I can't think of one that was epic. He just whole shots and dominates and is gone in eight laps. Like, there's hardly any of right. them that well, you're like, it was just gnarly battle to the finish. There was one that was so epic. We did it on this show, and it's because he <laughs> lost. Because he got beat. Because he got beat. We had several. He got beats. Yeah. When he gets beat, it's a big deal. <laughs> yes. When he wins, it was like, yeah. ah, McGrath won yeah. again. Yeah, yes. you know what? You have a point there with iconic Supercross wins. I mean, Anaheim 93, the first one, yes. is, is an easy one to do. Yes. Uh, but that one's played out, been talked about, everything else. And, right. And Jesus, you know he won't want to talk about Summercross, so we can't get him on for that. Oh, no. Um, no. I think you could find a guy to talk about Summercross. Can, yeah. can we do Summercross? Sure. Can we do Summercross? Sure. Cross? I think you've got plenty of stories, you, I would imagine. You know nothing about Summercross. You weren't there. It wasn't no. part of the series. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, I think it'd be great. Right. right. Okay. But anyways, uh, so I – it's funny, though, and we're going to have Jeremy on here. We already did the interview. Um, and he brings up an excellent point. The point is MXA and a lot of media bashing him for not being Larocco tough, Kodrowski tough, not being 100-degree yeah. weather, back east, able to win nationals. And they had a point because he hadn't won one yet yeah. and, and all that. And I understand that. He'd ridden, he rode 125s in 93. He moved up to 250s in 94. As he points out, Weege, he got third overall. So, like, <laughs> this narrative that he can't win outdoors – like, he got third. It wasn't that bad in 94. I agree, but I will counter that. He was the best Supercross rider. He was. He won the title in 93 and in 94. If you watch the 94 races, like, he's not going to beat Kudrowski and Larocco. They've got him covered. They've got him covered, and here's why they got him covered. He can't do the 30 minutes. So no matter what he does, any track, hull shot, bad start for those guys, it doesn't matter. He's going to get tired. They're going to beat him. So he did get third. But yeah. he was not the best guy. He wasn't, but it wasn't like he was a failure. No, he wasn't yeah, garbage. Yeah, yeah. Right, he wasn't uh, garbage. Guys were so we we love to laugh on this show about how like everything was so unsophisticated with the podium interviews. Uh -huh. We had we laughed so hard yeah. in that '97 Troy one with Damon Huffman. Yeah. How poor Albie's just laying in the grass. <laughs> yeah. I remember in '94 uh, he wins his first moto ever at Troy. 
because it's the super crossiest Yes, track. of course, right. And uh, Art is doing the uh, interview, and he's like, Jeremy, it must be a tremendous experience to finally win one of these motos. And he says, it's a tremendously tiring experience, Art. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the story was like he just wasn't in good enough shape. Yeah. And basically, he got in good enough shape. And then he started beating everybody outdoors yeah. too. Yeah. 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 He, yeah. he got serious about his fitness. He yeah. knew that he needed to do that. Yeah. Uh, funny how, uh, you know, the, the greats are always, and this isn't necessarily a great thing, uh, but they have a chip on the shoulder. A lot of these guys, right? Perceived slights, uh, whether it's LeBron James or whether it's what well, Michael Jordan, Michael the, the Jordan, most epic the famous, ever, right? The yes. most epic ever. Yeah. And to be some of these all time great guys, not all, but some of these guys have that chip on their shoulder. And I think Jeremy had that. I think he had that chip where like, yes. Oh yeah. Watch this. Like Supercross is pretty easy. I can do that. No problem. I'm going to win outdoors. I'm going to beat these dudes. And we all know the 90 guys didn't, the nineties guys never trained wage except at all. You love to point this out. Go tell Mike LaRocco or Mike Kronowski that they didn't train. They didn't train. Like, <laughs> these guys were animals. I dropped that in a video the other day, and uh, somebody left a YouTube comment who went to high school, Mike Kronowski, and he just left this epic story <laughs> of he never went to a party with us ever. He came one time, he drank a bottle of water, and then he left to go riding. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he would sometimes, we'd see him riding on the side of the road, and we'd go over a pullover, and he'd talk to us for a little bit, and his dad would be like, time for another moto, and Mike would go away, and that's the only time he saw him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Um, so there were hard trainers in the nineties. I'm just yeah, letting everybody know. There was. So ninety four champ was Mike Larocco. Yep. Uh, this remember Gainesville in the middle of the national middle of the Supercross series. So yeah. it's a little bit of a weird one. Larocco was a champion and he was a bad dude. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Kudrowski was uh, another guy to make a run at. Doug Henry was new to the class. Yep. Uh, Kudrowski after- won the title in ninety three. Yep. So they're the last two champs. Yep. Uh, yep. Henry moved up from the one twenty fives where he was champ. Yep. And and you know, he was good outdoors. Yep. Henry Henry and Mike Alessi are two guys that come to mind where indoors and outdoors don't match. Stop. What? You keep trying to find this Alessi parallel. Henry won Supercrosses in the Premier class. He was a points leader at one point. Mike Alessi was never at that Supercross level. Stop. You don't think that four-stroke had something to do with, Mike, with Doug Henry's success? He did on YZ250s. Was he leading the points on a YZ250? Yes, 97. Yes. Doug Henry was good at Supercross. Do not even compare him to Mike Alessi in Supercross. Stop. I need to check the, the facts and figures on this. Yes, Maybe yes, Doug. better, but the difference is like 10% or okay. 8 Stop Like, sh- Mike is massive difference. Stop shitting on Mike Alessi's legacy. Okay. Okay, all right. So you had Henry, bad dude. Yeah. Uh, absolutely uh, a really good guy. Of course, you had Yogi uh, on Suzuki. You had Greg Alberton coming over, and that was interesting to me as a fan yeah. from the outside. Yeah. So Albie's a two-time champion uh, from Europe. Uh, he won uh, 125s and then moved up to 250s, beat Stefan Everts. Comes to America for Suzuki. And I didn't really know at the time, but I mean, I thought Suzuki weren't as good as Honda. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. But I don't think they were very good on, on the ultimate highest level, like, they, you know, back on this level back then. It is a shame. Yeah. We're learning a lot going back on these shows. Uh, you, you were always putting a lot on the riders back then and probably not knowing nearly as much the massive discrepancy in bikes. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of it is. Right. Honda guys probably had a. Real advantage. And you just always wanted to talk about riders. Yep. And like, yep. Yep. yeah, the difference between on Team Honda and Team Suzuki was probably pretty effing big. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this race is also known for some DNFs. Uh, LaRocco breaks a wheel. Yep. Second moto. <clears throat> Alberton breaks a wheel. Yep. Uh, I think Lampson, Lampson blew up on 125s. We'll talk more about that later yep. on. Yep. Uh, hard pack, dusty, flat landings. Yep. Just gator back, yep. man. Just gator back. Yep. Uh, the Albi thing is interesting, right? Because, uh, you know, at one point, the idea that any Euro could come over and win was preposterous, and then JMB did it. Yep. But I do remember at the time, it was still like, JMB was so good, 
yes, we now look back and say that kind of started the trend, but don't you feel that it was still... JMB wins, and it's not like everybody's like, okay, the Euros can come to America. It was JMB. Yeah. He was that good. And I remember Albie coming over, and I specifically remember at one point, and this is an MXA, so you can take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes they, t- they I feel like they would twist mm, things a little just bit. Just a little bit. I remember an interview with Kudrowski saying, Albie's coming over. Do you have any concerns about racing against him? And Kudrowski's answer was no. <laughs> like, they at least were given the perception that the right. American dudes did – He's the 250 world champ. Whatever, bro. Yeah. But Albie, he crashed out of Supercross a lot at yep. the beginning of the season. Yep. But you could tell when you watch this race, he's like, when I get to that first national, yeah. I'm going to show these yeah. mofos and what hey, I got. And he, gets, he hauled ass. He did. He got second in the first moto, And man. battled LaRocco hard. Yeah. I mean, LaRocco's a defending AMA champ. Yep. They went down to the last lap. Right. So clearly, if, Albie's good. If you're Roger DeCoster Suzuki, you are rubbing your hands. This is what I paid for. This is what I want. This is what I'm getting. Yeah. His first ever moto here, yeah. he almost beats the champion of the series. Right. And and again, LaRocco was a bad dude. Yes. Um, so, yes. Uh, yeah, Kudrowski was number five this year, I think, or something. Um, I think seven. Seven. Because Kudrowski yeah. breaks his hand. In '94, he and Larocco are going, going at it for the yeah, title, yeah. and then he misses a bunch of rounds. Well, that's the that's the Redbud incident, isn't it? That year, also, yeah, he breaks yeah. his hand, but he breaks his hand in that. I thought, no, no, he got roosted at Unadilla. Oh, really? Okay, I thought he Rock. broke his hand when yeah. he did the. Oh, that would have oh. been amazing. No, okay, no. So, um, yeah, it's 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 those are the guys that Jeremy has to beat. He's yeah, working and these guys in there too. He yeah. moved up. He moved up. He's Jeremy's working these dudes in uh, Supercross, but outdoors, yeah, this is the guys he's got to battle. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I know the good old days were always great, always. But here's my history watching the Nationals in the late 80s and the early 90s. It wasn't always stacked, bro. It wasn't always stacked. First of all, they used to split the series between 250 and 500. And mm-hmm. we know in the latter days of the 500 class, you were down to like four factory riders. Well, this was the first year of a full no uh, 500. Com- uh, 94 was. Yeah. They combined them. Yeah. yeah. So when I, here's what I'm, that's exactly what I'm getting at. I feel like the Nationals, for a long time, once the 500s were starting to wane... They were, like, messed up. You were, the, the talent was split. Yamaha guys wouldn't even race a lot of them. They dropped down. The bikes weren't all competitive Suzuki with each other. guys would drop down. Yeah, yeah. 94, they finally, like, 500s are done. We're doing a full 250 series. And by 95 is the first time I feel the Nationals were stacked for a long time. It was always like, it's just Johnson and Ward, or it's just Stanton and Ward. When you look at this group of, like, Kudrowski and LaRocco are good, Jeremy McGrath's in there, Henry and Emig just moved up, here comes Albie. Uh, John Dowd was good in 94. Yep. He's on factory Yamaha. Yep. yep. He, I mean, that's... He, he DNFs a moto here. Yes. Yep. Yep. But that's like seven guys who could win a national at any time. Yep. I don't feel like in 1990... Sorry, like 1990, 1991, there weren't seven guys that could win a national. No. It was like, it's going to be Stanton or it's yeah. going to be Wardy. Yeah. Maybe JMB. Yeah. Maybe Bradshaw. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what I'm getting at is by getting rid of the 500s, and I know, ah, that makes me horribly un-old school, it made the series better. It started to become more competitive. Multiple teams, they're all racing all 12 rounds. Mm-hmm. They're not doing five rounds and then disappearing because they don't make a 500. This is a pretty stacked... LaRocco, Kudrowski, yeah. Emig, Henry, Albie, McGrath. That's a good group, dude. Yeah, yeah. because if you add Dowdy in there... And Dowd, you we, know. we now know Dowd ends up being really good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dowd's a bad yeah. dude. Yeah, Dowd's this is his first year on Factory, right? Yeah, yeah so we right. maybe didn't know how good he was going to be, but... Yep. Yeah, so um, interesting, interesting group of characters and riders. It's uh, it's John Coonan doing the PR. The Kiernan, yeah. Kiernan? So yeah. I think they stuck their IndyCar crew yeah. on these races. I don't know if they were already Jan paying Bikis them. Jan Bikis, Bikis with Bradshaw does the 125 yeah, show. that yeah. blows me away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
We did have the incomparable, the amazing, the great David Bailey yep. with uh, John Kiernan yep. uh, announcing these. I believe they just shot him with a bunch of cameras, went back to Atlanta, edited it. They went to a studio a few days later. So Bailey would do the flights to Atlanta all the time, huh? Yeah, I mean, he time. told me, I think there were times going to the race on the weekends and then going to Atlanta, living in California. That had to be brutal. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Jeremy, this is Jeremy McGrath's first big bike win, and he goes on to dominate this this year. Uh, seven podiums, seven wins in, in – uh, seven wins. I think seven in, wins. In 12 races. Yeah. Yeah. Would you have up like nine podiums or yeah. out of 12 or something? Um, yeah, because he got runner-up the other ones. Yeah. Um, he really wins this moto, this race, in the first moto. He gets a not a very good start. Yeah. And works up from 10th, 11th or something all the way to third. Really good ride. Yeah. Uh, LaRocco's up front. Well, first Todd DeHoops, I think, up front in one moto. Okay. Um, and then LaRocco's up front, and then Albie is going at him. For yep. that. So that's a really good battle up front. But Jeremy gets it um, in that first moto in the opening laps. Really good charge by him. Yeah, he, he gets up to third, but Albi and LaRocco, who are the two champs, I guess, win. So I don't know if anyone saw it coming. Yep. Kardowski that, goes down a couple times. Yeah, Kardowski's yep. only oh, oh, okay. Yep. Henry and Emig were only okay. But you actually lived it. Did you do the mechanicing in the Gainesville days? I did uh, in 97. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, we do need to explain a little bit how weirdo this is, that they're racing Supercross, they have one national in March, and then the rest of the nationals aren't until May. You really did see guys come in with completely different levels of readiness. Yeah, um, uh, and you have some weirdo results. Swink won a moto uh, yeah, one time. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I think Tishner won a moto. Yeah, it was a weird <laughs> weird deal at different years of Gatorback. Yeah. yeah, and it had to be because... Yep. When you have one national in the middle of Supercross yep. and not another one for two months. Who's been doing what? Did anyone what? test? Yeah. yeah. At all? Yeah. I remember doing it uh, in 97. It was a pain in the ass. And it was for a privateer guy. And did you do it, what, for a week? Not even. It like, was an extent. Like two yeah, days. Yeah, That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Right. It was, yep. Because, for example, Henry and Emig would really come on and be pretty good later. But they were not, I don't think, ready right. at this race. Right. This is the famous year where Henry does the huge Henry Hill at, uh, at uh, Bud's, Bud's Creek. yeah. And at that point, he's battling McGrath to win races. But he's not really a factor uh, as much no, here. No, you don't see him much uh, no. in this broadcast at all. Uh, so Moto2, both yeah. LaRocco and Albie have broken wheels. Yeah. And LaRocco, though, doesn't get a good start. So he's, and Shocking. he crashes. Yeah, he crashes yeah. at one point. So yeah, so it would have been can, bad. You can't say LaRocco's up front in the second moto going to win the overall no. breaks a wheel. No, nope. no, no. Yeah, he, he's, not, he's not in the mix. Uh, Jeremy goes off and takes off and wins the moto. Yeah, LaRocco slides out because I'm telling you, folks, if you go back oh. and you watch this, the track conditions... It might as well be a different sport to what we see in the Nationals today. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane that they would do this. Like, I mean, the, like I said, I've, I've said this a few times. I made this joke a few times, but riders today wouldn't even race. They'd just walk off. They would <laughs> just would be walk unacceptable. Off. Yeah, it would just be, be unacceptable. Right. Conditions. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, dude, it is just baked, dusty, dry, hard pack. There's a couple of ruts here and there. Uh, but, I mean, there's not a disc in the state of Florida, clearly. No, no. Uh, oh, and uh, a couple things. He was sick coming into this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, sick that's coming right. in. They yeah. said Skip Norfolk, his mechanic, was sick coming yep. in. Yep. The cycle news from the race has breaking news that he shaved his goatee off. Big, big, big news. Big news. Big news. Jeremy shaved his goatee <laughs> off. He won the second moto by 10 seconds. He was just gone. Yeah. Um, it was a great ride. And, and, yeah, being sick, they mentioned that a few times on the broadcast. And, you know, Bailey Bailey catches on that sometimes he's had good rides when he was sick, you know? The no pressure or whatever it's going to yeah, be. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what we got at at the top of this was McGrath was hearing the you can't win outdoors against LaRocco Kudrowski. He used that for fuel. And then I think when he won this, 
It was probably like, ah, their wheels broke. So he probably used that for fuel for the rest of the races. And uh, he wins this title in 95. And by the way, 96, he goes 6-0. and The first six motos yeah. of 96. Yeah. He ends yeah. up not winning the title. That we'll was my first that. year. He was gone. He was gone. And Lamson was doing the same thing with 125s. Oh, yeah. It was a Honda run. Which is your point. I'm yep. sure why you want to do this. There was a time, a year and a half or two, where McGrath outdoors was just as dominant outdoors. Yeah, yeah he was unbelievable. And, yeah. and, and, it was, and I loved it because I heard the talk and I heard yeah. the stuff and I read it. Yep. You know, that he can't do it. It's, yep. it's too tough and all that stuff. I mean, the guy goes back east to Southwick yep. and crushes it. You yep. know what I mean? What, do you, what more do you want? Yeah, uh, you know, he, uh, Unadilla, he wins. It's yeah, just, yeah, it just it goes on and on and on. Yeah, he had turned into the total package. Yeah. of could win yeah. on any track, yeah. rough, outdoor, nasty crap. He could do it just like he did in the stadium. Yep. Yeah, uh, but I want to admit, I want to admit. Well, well, no, we'll 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 talk to Jeremy, and I'll okay. I'll admit that I was also one of the naysayers. Mm. I did not believe it would happen. Yeah, you 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 didn't mention this in the interview. No, I did not say no, it to McGrath's face. No, no, you didn't. Well, look, I'm admitting now I was totally wrong. So yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, well, you want to talk to him? Let's get let's uh, do it. Let's get him on the line here. Uh, Jeremy McGrath, the king of Supercross, talking about his first ever out big bike outdoor overall win. Here he is, folks. And now, as promised on the Elite Reraceables, we've been talking about Gainesville 95. It was this gentleman's first ever 250 motocross win. We're stoked to have him join the show because, uh, yeah, he's in so many of these uh, other episodes uh, talking about him. And now he's on there. It's the king of Supercross talking about motocross, Jeremy McGrath. What's up, MC? Oh, not much, guys. What's happening? Happy New Year to you, and it's always good to be on the show. Thank you. It's funny because, you know, listen, you've got so many Supercross stories, and you're, and you're the baddest dude ever to race Supercross, but we're focusing on outdoors, man. <clears throat> it's funny because, you know, it always irritated me back then, right, that, that, that like, they would say, like, oh, you're never going to be a considered, like, an all-around rider because you just sucked an outdoor, and... I always, of course, begged to differ. Like, me sucking was, like, third and fourth, which wasn't that bad. <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> until I really put my head to my mind to it and started to figure out and try to figure out how to beat him and, um, and got better at it. So it was always funny. But, you know, I, I certainly have a special place in my heart for outdoors because, as I've said this before and a bunch of times, when you race an outdoor motocross, I mean, at the end of the event, your body is just – taxed to the limit i mean you're just i've never you never feel so bad so you you feel very accomplished when you're done racing an outdoor motocross so i that part of it i really loved uh and and i never really had anything against outdoor it just i mean traveling all the time and i was so having having so much fun in supercross it just why wouldn't i want to do that all the time you know what i mean so (laughs) (laughs) it was things where i just you know i liked motocross and felt accomplished when i did well at it but i just was like, ah, oh, we need more jumps or something. You know? I, I think, you know, the and Weege can back me up. Like, for sure, the narrative, you know, 93 was your big year, and the narrative, you rode 125 outdoors, won a couple races, but 94, you get third in the points in 250s, and I think the narrative really was that you weren't tough enough to win outdoors, and, and you got LaRosco, Kodrowski, and and these bad dudes that are real men, and I don't know, Weege, I think there's a little bit of MXA and a little bit, I think a lot of it was MXA and some other magazines for me on the outside reading it, that Jeremy wasn't tough enough to win outdoors. Yeah. I wasn't in the scene at that time. Right. I'm just going by what you're reading on the outside. And that's what it is. It's like these guys are gnarly and they're in shape. They might not have the skills, so they can't beat them in Supercross. but these guys are iron men. Um, so yeah, that was what I felt on the outside. I don't know how you felt about hearing that stuff, Jeremy. 
Well, I mean, it was always, yeah, look, I mean, when you won Supercross and people are still bagging on you for not being able to race outdoor motocross because you're not tough enough, well, shouldn't it be the reverse for them? Shouldn't they have been getting bagged on for not being able to win a Supercross? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm yeah. like, okay, this is kind of like reverse psychology. It's like, what are they doing? Like, okay, there is some chinks in my armor, but, but I mean, leave me alone. It's like I'm still without really concentrating too hard on it, I was still top five guy. And yes, I wasn't very good in the mud and it took me a while to figure that out. But, you know, at the end, I'm thankful for all that, you know, because there is no greater motivator than someone telling you, you can't do it. So Mm -hmm. for me, that was, um, you know, it was inspirational. And, um, after being able to, you know, after putting my mind to it and figuring it out and spending some time working on it and, and really concentrating on, being a better outdoor motocross rider uh at the end of the day i was thankful for that because you know in 95 when i won both titles it, i mean i i pretty much felt like wow okay finally i can say maybe i'm the best rider in the world yeah so, 12 that was, that was- 12 races in 95 uh you got third in the points in 94 12 races in 95 seven wins and three second places out of the 12 races um so yeah you figured it out pretty pretty good <laughs> I'd say, um, going into this race, you had the flu. Do you remember the, the Gainesville, uh, 95 kickoff and, and, and having the flu and also cycle news breathlessly reported that you shaved off your goatee. Uh, this is also in the notes of the race. Big, big, <laughs> big, big news, big news. Uh, was that, that must be like, was that in the wind or something from Kit Palmer? Yeah, something? it was in the notes for the race. Yeah. It was like, Hey, oh, the Rocco broke a wheel and this happened. And then McGrath shaved his goatee. So, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys know how dumb I was looking back then and how, how much I thought it was, I thought it was so cool. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, it's hey, pretty, you know what, though, I say you're, you're this sports example of like the celebrity culture. Like I do feel like whatever look you rocked, like it wasn't like, Oh, I'm just here for the dirt bike stuff. Like I think people did really focus in on like the helmet or the helmet paint or the hair or the goatee. Like I do feel like the fans did key in on that. It would become like celebrity culture in a way. I'm sure you noticed that, that people noticed what you were looking like. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, again, as I've always said, you know, I never, I never was trying to like be some leader in the trend or I was never trying to like, uh, get some other people to do what I was doing. Like, Hey, follow me, wear this goofy hairdo and bring this long goatee and whatever. And, 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 you know, that stuff kind of lasted for a long time because even like when I did my hair blue in the night in 99 or 98 or whatever that was, um, people were still reacting like that. But as I've always said, you know, the, the thing that I just tried to be is different. And yeah, you look back at that now and I'm like, wow, that was pretty lame, pretty stupid. But I was just trying to be different from everybody else. And, and I, it's obvious because we're still talking about it, that it worked. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I mean, in 90, I, I can I can vouch for this, Wygant. In 96, I got my ears pierced and I got those dumb barbell uh, earrings with the two little things that, you know, the barbells, because you had them. Because you had them. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm piercing my ears. And I'm doing that. And, and Birdwell helped me find these earrings that you had. I'm like, what kind of, you know, that, those are cool. Everyone's got them. So, yeah, I did that because of you. My mom's probably still pissed, MC. But Well, that's funny. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I still have, like, I can probably still put a regular earring in my ear because those ones those, that we were wearing. Yeah. 
those hoop ones were like 12 gauge or whatever they called it back then. Yeah. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no. So I was yeah, there. I, I was with you on the barbells. Yeah. It's funny. Now, here's the funny thing about all that. If I hadn't won a race and was doing all that stuff, people would have just been like, you are such an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's right. weird, right. Jason, just how you said, like, the culture changes when someone does something that people are paying attention to. You know? Uh, it's just funny. I mean, look, I always say it. Growing up and racing in the 90s, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. We were all, we were all lucky to be able to grow up then. Uh, things are so much different now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's always fun. I love laughing at myself because I just think it's so hilarious of what I was doing back then. <laughs> but most importantly, most importantly, I was winning races and, and all that other stuff just seemed to not matter as long as you're winning, you know? Yeah. If you were getting 10th and rocking these looks, people would be like, why does this guy pay more attention to training than his stupid look? You could have been <laughs> yeah. doing the exact same amount of work, but that's the way it would have sounded. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We can probably all pick out guys throughout the sport that we remember their look more than their results. So yeah, yeah. At least, at least for me, uh, my results come first, so that was there good. You go. So uh, the sickness thing, yeah, and it sounded like Skip even was a little under the weather too. So what was going on there? You do you remember that the illness that you guys were dealing? With? No, um, you know what's weird is every time we went to Florida, it seemed like because we would go to Florida for a couple weeks, right? We would go testing mm -hmm. at different tracks and try to get the bike set up for Daytona race and. And all this stuff. And I think Gainesville was actually before Daytona, which, you know, was kind of strange because we would do a little bit outdoor riding and then we would kind of, we'd race Gainesville and then we kind of continue that into the Daytona Supercross, which always really confusing trying to get the bike set up there. But, um, yeah, I don't remember it. What I was going to say is every time our trip went to Florida, I was, I was, I was always seemed like I had a cold and, uh, I watched when we were talking about this yesterday, I watched, I watched 94's race and I watched 96's race also. And I think I had a cold at both of those, but in this instance, in 95, having the flu, I, I think I had a, a high temperature all week, didn't really ride, but you know, as we've also learned throughout the sport and the history of the sport, some days you have your best days when you're sick because you're concentrating on being sick instead of really worried about the race and uh that day it seemed to work out pretty good and i had plenty of strength um you thought to talk about gary semex around this time and look again you got third overall in 94 in the 250s and you won some nationals in 93 on 125 so it's not like you couldn't ride outdoors but a lot of talk about gary semex this year you may you make a mention after this race about you know my trainer gary semex and and i've worked with gary a little bit for some motocross schools and stuff good dude smart dude do you really was it really a case of maybe – did you get in better shape for 95 outdoors? Did, do you think that this was a physical fitness issue a little bit for your dominance in 95? I think there's absolutely no doubt that I, I, got, I got in shape way more for 95. Because in 94, I was still under – I was under the whole thing. as like, oh, I got super cross-dialed in. Why mm -hmm. would I work too hard for the summer? Let's just have some fun, whatever. <clears throat> and Gary was my trainer all the way from – you know, pretty much 1991 or 90 until that, even still after that point. But okay, sure. The, the thing that was great about Gary is he's pretty, pretty mellow. I didn't really need someone to tell me what to do. We were learning techniques and doing all this stuff together because I was pretty far advanced when it came to riding style and techniques when it came to supercross. I think where Gary came in a lot was he had a, such a great sense of 
uh, you know, what was going on and how to apply, uh, some of the fitness stuff to the way I, the way I worked, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I had to retrain the way I was thinking about, you know, the lines I was using for outdoors, the setup on the bike and really just learn how to suffer a little bit. Uh, and then just put the work in. And so he was really, you know, we, we did it together, but he was there to really get me motivated and kick me in the butt when I wasn't doing it right. And, uh, you know, he was right with, with everyone else. There was a, there's a huge sense of accomplishment when you, when you feel like you're the best guy, uh, out there on the track for those amount of times, you know, both motos each day you come out and you're like, Oh, this, I got this no problem. Or, or like, for instance, when we were talking about doing this interview, I watched some videos one year in particular. I remember when Bradshaw came back, he sat behind me for like 15 minutes in the moto and he was riding really, really well. But I was laughing in my helmet because I'm like, there's no way he can keep this pace up mm-hmm. because I'm going to take this pace all the way to the end and I'm going to crush him at the end. And that's exactly what happened. But, uh, you know, and, and that was all just due to really figuring out how to suffer, really putting the work in and really just, you know, when I came to motocross, I really wanted to, I was riding super cross lines on motocross tracks mm-hmm. and that, that style didn't work. It, I mean, all the way up to 94, it really, I had won a couple races on 125s, but I mean, who knows? It was Gainesville. It was just like Carlsbad Raceway. I mean, I was good at that stuff. But, um, you know, the, the line selections and the way I was approaching it just didn't work. So, uh, after 94, I made the, uh, the adjustment to ride the fastest line, even if it was the roughest line, get the bike set up to work, uh, on that type of setup. And, uh, from there it was just like, oh, okay, now, <laughs> now I feel the puzzle and sort of went in races. You know, the fitness thing, uh, then eventually, you know, the, the thing five, say years later becomes like, everybody's got these gnarly cycling, uh, even earlier than that, everybody's on these three hour bike rides. What was the training? Did you literally do more volume, more stuff in 95 than you did in 94 on the fitness side? And like, what did you do? What was the hot setup uh, back then? Cause eventually everybody became a Tour de France athlete eventually. Yeah. Now all these guys, and I mean, I got grouped into that too. And my career, right. I mean, yep. now all the guys are like, it seems like as soon as Alden Eldon came along that everyone turned into a bicycle racer and yeah. including myself. And, uh, you know, again, there, that's when you can ride three or 400 miles a week on a bicycle, you feel pretty accomplished, but you also feel like a freaking twig and you can't. <laughs> so, um, you know, you turn into a bike racer, not a motorcycle racer. I think most importantly, the transition for me was Jim Anderson and I at Showa really worked on the bike. We had Honda was really cool. They hired a practice mechanic for me and Lamson that would show up at these rough ass tracks out here in California. One in particular by Glen Helen is called college track. And we were there three days a week riding motos on a track that anyone that rides dirt bikes would choose not to ride. (laughs) And, and, uh, we were really putting the work in and every day the guy would show up with the bike the next day, ready to go. And we'd have real bikes that we didn't have to take care of ourselves. And we'd have a mechanic show up and run the pit board and me and Lamson were just crushing motos when it was hot, any condition, and uh, really just riding moto a lot. And uh, that that and then you know you put in some of the weightlifting and some of the cardio stuff during the week. But we we really were just putting in a lot, a lot of seat time. 
It's going to sound jarring to people to hear, like, we had a practice mechanic. We didn't have to work on our own bikes. Yeah. Like, yeah. that just sounds so normal now. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is that that was not the norm back then. And it wasn't like we had a practice mechanic that worked for us personally. Mm-hmm. Honda just supplied an extra mechanic that would work on our two bikes, my bike and his bike, that the bikes that we would ride during the week. And uh, it was really only for motocross because – we didn't really need that for Supercross because we were testing at the track pretty much every week anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I mean, that alone just allowed us to ride and ride. You know, the bikes get hammered. When you're riding outdoor motos, two 40-minute motos, plus a few minutes of practice on those days, I mean, you need an extra mechanic for your bike. And that's that's kind of, that was a huge, huge, like, turning point for us. Um, this, this race, so... 94, LaRocco's a defending champion. Uh, Henry moves up from winning the title. LB comes over. He's a two-time world champion. Uh, Kurdowski's still a factor. You know, he's still a bad dude. But I'm guessing, Jeremy, LaRocco... What's that? Emig moves up, too. Emig moves up, too. It's pretty stacked. I'm guessing, though, Jeremy, LaRocco is your guy. He's the one that you're like, uh, this is the guy I got to focus on because he, he was, you know, he literally had an animal on the back of his pants. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was, um, I mean, I always highly regarded Kudrowski, too. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. outdoor motocross, he was pretty strong. So, um, you know, I knew that Jeff really, Emig wasn't, gonna be too strong at the beginning because he always kind of works his way into it and uh starts turning up the mm-hmm. you know the motivation for himself at at uh redbud in july but um you know rhino looked pretty good didn't rhino have a good moto there kind of not in 95 no but uh, not, 96 oh, that was, that i think 90, that might have been 96 yep um so yeah 90 uh, you know the two cowies right yeah and, and kudrowski and those guys were I mean, by all accounts, those guys, those were the guys to beat. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, those, I, I guess those are the guys I had to worry about, but in that race, they sure didn't, they weren't around very much that at least on that race, they weren't. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing you liked, I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier, you liked Gainesville. You like, you want, you want on 25s. You mentioned it's like Carlsbad. This race does not look like fun. It, it It's dry. It's dusty. Wheels are breaking, but you like, generally speaking, you like Gainesville. Generally speaking, I used to like it. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it was just exactly like what we practiced on and what I grew up on as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlsbad Raceway, you know, any of the Newport Road tracks we had out here. I mean, in California, if it's not raining, you're riding on shit like that. So yeah. it, it, it was, it was kind of just like home. And, and I think, you know, at least like I won there in 93, I won there in 94. Um, you know, riding the high of supercross really helped too right so i'd go into that race with a lot of confidence because i'd just been winning supercrosses so uh you know i think there's a combination of things that really helped me for that race Mm -hmm. and the track was a lot like what i grew up on i mean if you go to somewhere i mean at a later date i was better but if you go somewhere like mount morris if we traded that track for somewhere like mount morris during those times of the year i'm i'm not sure it would have been so great until the five season you know what i mean yeah yeah you had mentioned i've heard you say this even at loretta's and stuff that uh you know your pathway into the sport's a little different uh than most you had ridden your whole life but you weren't really racing seriously so i, I think you even said like hey learning to ride motocross i was still actually pretty new to it unlike most of the guys are racing probably were riding a motocross track since they were four or five years old 
Uh, it was a little different for you. I remember you saying that you had to actually learn it in a way. Yeah. And I've always, yeah. I mean, that, that's a crazy part. There was a lot expected of me, but like in 91, when I got a factory Honda ride with pro circuit, I mean, literally I'd never even seen a track like a national track. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, I was like, man, it was the steepest learning curve ever. So yeah, even three years later, 94, I'm still like trying to figure it out. I've been to these tracks a couple of years now. I'm not, not that great on them. Also with my motivation being super cross, you know, at the time I wasn't willing to put the investment into it until the end of 94. And really it just, I mean, it's really the media that motivated this whole thing. I mean, like you said, that <laughs> like Joe MXA mag guys, mm -hmm. these guys just smack talking and saying that I'm, you know, super crossed guy only and all this, which I'm fine with that, that tagline. I'm fine with that, but don't say I can't ride outdoor when I'm finishing third. These other idiots that are racing supercross against me, they can't even keep up with me. And you guys are bagging on me for not being able to keep up in outdoors. So it's like, you know, that well, stuff's ear. First it was Daytona. He can't win Daytona. He's not tough enough to win Daytona. Then you win Daytona, you know, and then you start crushing Daytona. Then it's like, oh, he can't win outdoors, and then you start crushing outdoors. It seemed like yeah. the narrative was a few different things for you along the way, in the media, anyways, you know? Yeah, and I, it was, you know, look, I, I'm a fan of our sport, and I love people who dominate. I mean, we all know the athletes that have dominated over time. We all, we all like them, but, you know, we also like go, man, it's time for someone else to win. So I get that. Mm-hmm. But there's also a tactful way to do that. You know what I mean? It's like you can't just disrespect a dude because he wins too much. You have to just come <laughs> up with something else, you know, because there's no denying that the guy's good. So it's just like, you know, those things, The it's really just the way people do it that cracks me up. Um, you know, but again, I, I also I also said, as I said, you know, that was mm -hmm. there's no better motivator than that. When you when you go and, and win outdoors of course and dominate and I'm, i know that's i gotta feel really sweet but i also think you went to southwick in 96 and you went 1-1 and i was there that day and see you later forget all the forget all the the new england guys and everybody else i think fro was second but you crushed them that had to feel really good when you go walk into southwick and in in 95 uh you got second there but 96 you went 1-1 that had to feel really good like hey i can win in Anaheim, and I can win at Southwick, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, back then we regarded Southwick as definitely the one of the toughest tracks, mm -hmm. if, if not the roughest track. And, again, being from California and being grown up on the hard pack, yeah, I mean, I had, yeah. to, I was like, felt pretty badass after <laughs> went going 1-1 one, one in a race like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Glen Helen was another one. The track was so rough. I mean, the the roughest ones are the ones where you, when you win those, you feel like the most sense of accomplishment. So, um, you know, it's, yep. it's, there's, as an athlete, as a former athlete, there's these trigger points along the way, you know, that, that really, uh, you know, they help keep you motivated. Just they, they help keep you going, especially when you have a long career like I did. It's like, man, you, you kind of need these little things along the way, these little nuggets that, you need people to say something, talk some smack, say you can't do something. You know, you need these challenges to kind of stay motivated. And um, mm -hmm. again, I'm I'm okay with whatever. When I look back now, it's like I think if you look back now, any of the people that ever said anything would go back and go, you know what? I was kind of I was kind of <laughs> yeah you know? yeah. 
Yeah, he was the best rider in the world indoors and out for two, three, four years, yeah. you know? So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like if you talk to the uh, YouTube commenters, if you met them in person, they'd probably just show you respect. They might be smack talkers online, right? But when you meet people in person, yeah. it's, oh, just mad at the time, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. I mean, look, it's like, I get it. I'm a, I'm a fan of all sports and all racing. It's like you want to see a mixed – you want to see a mixed-up podium all the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, I also can appreciate – a guy that wins a lot, but you know, I get it. Yeah. Tom Brady, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Like I'm tired of it, man. I'm tired of it. You you know, you're, but but here, I'm not here. You are back again, Brady. You're in the box. You're in the Super Bowl. Like screw you, bro. But, but at some point you're just like, damn, I appreciate that. Look at this dude, you know? So yeah, exactly. Yep. Hey, so you win this race. They used to call this the orphan national, right? As you mentioned, it was a really weird time of year. Uh, that it was right in the middle of Supercross and then right back to Supercross. So when you won this one, did you feel like, okay, I know I worked hard, we're a lot better, I'm good, or did you not know for sure, like, as far as the title, how that was going to work out? Because it's, this is always considered a weird round. So did you leave there thinking I can win this title, or were you like, ah, it's just this one weird race, I'm not sure yet? Because, by the way, the next round, Hangtown, you're sixth overall. And I don't know if you remember, but you go 3-5 on the day. Which, uh, you know, people are probably like, oh, shit, you know, oh. so. Yeah, but what is that, two months no. later? Yeah, yeah, it's two months later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. that's funny because I don't remember that. And I was always typically really good at Hangtown. You were, Like, that was yeah. the last national I won. Um, you know, I was, again, it was a pretty it was a pretty good track for me. Yep. Um, but to back to your question, I, the 95 season, I was geared up to win the national, win the series. That, like, the prior years, 93 mm-hmm. and 94, I knew that I was going to be good at Gainesville, but I knew after that I was going to be not great. Um, but in 95, I was probably really pissed that, to have a bad result at the next round at Hangtown because that year I wanted to win, and I was ready to win every race. So a- as you stated before, Steve, the the results that year I won seven rounds. So I was ready to win, It just uh, and I had the confidence for the whole series. So going into that year at Gainesville, it was like, okay, yeah, Gainesville is going to be nice, but the rest of the year is going to be sweet too. Got it. Um, yep. Last question for me, uh, Jeremy McGrath on the Lee at Re-Raceables, presented by the folks at Maxxis. Um, Jeremy knows a little bit about the Maxxis guys and how well their tire products work. Uh, and also to Scott Goggles and uh, the folks at Pro Taper as well. Uh, you've talked about all of your career, Jeremy, all these wins, everything else, and I've this is, this is old news. We've talked about this before on our different shows we do, but 96 outdoors it was yours as well absolutely crushing it again uh and we all know what happened millville tried a dumb jump that no one was going to do but you wanted to do it hurt your ankle pulled out of washugal lost the title at the last round uh still one of your biggest regrets in racing losing this 96 outdoor title yeah absolutely i mean it's you always hear like you know, you always hear those things throughout life, and we've talked about this. You know, it's every point that counts, every position counts, every this, every that. And my ego got the best of me at Washougal, and I just quit on that day, and I quit on my team, and I quit on myself, and that cost me the title. Uh, I mean, obviously, trying to do a jump at Millville that should have never been tried was another reason I lost the title, but and really stupid in retrospect. But you know, I, I, I. I was on a high. I was winning everything. I was like, all right, yeah, I, I think I can do this. And <laughs> anyway, it cost me, it cost me big. And I still limp around today at certain times because of that stupid jump that I tried. 
Wow, um, really? It still hurts at times. Oh, yeah. My ankle, my <laughs> left ankle is just, the ligaments in there are damaged so bad from that. Wow. Uh, these are the jumps. Are these the, uh, like, you come around the start, and then there's, like, some tables before the whoops? Is that what it was? Yeah. Yeah, right. You'd come around, you kind of make a right, and then make a left, and there was a single, and then the two tables. And for some strange reason, I thought my bike was fast enough and everything that I could. And I went really wide and got a whole bunch of speed and tried to jump from the single up on the first table. And I can't, I didn't, there was no way. I came not even. Yeah, I, I, I remember these jumps. What are you doing? Like, yeah, no one was doing that. No one would think about that. <laughs> yeah, we get our 450s. That tells you how bored I was. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Crazy. I, I I did respect that. I've heard you say that before, and like again, you're known as Supercross guy. So the fact that a a, a 250 national title that you had already won slipped away hurts so much. Uh, I thought it said a lot about how competitive you were. You won a lot, but you wanted them all. You didn't want them, anyone it, to slip away. It bugs me today. It bugs yep. me today, and it also bugs me that Emig beat me, and and it was the last race, and we were last <laughs> photo. Um, that part really bugs me a lot, and the the confusing part for me was. I couldn't ride Washougal. My ankle was really badly damaged. And then we go to Binghamton, which is a few weeks later. And I went one, one on a track that's super slick and a lot of off cameras. And I'm like, how, how did I even do that? I don't know. And then we go to the last round and, um, steel city back then was one of my favorite tracks. And I was like, I, I don't know. I couldn't beat Emic. I'm like, what? Yeah. That's so weird. So I, I, I was still hurt, I guess. But anyway, it's weird how it worked out, but you know what? I guess the icing on the cake was later that year we went to motocross of nations and that race I regard as one of my best races of my whole life. So, uh, you know, yeah, I lost the title, but we won motocross of nations at Jerez that year in 96. And we had one of the most dominant teams mm -hmm. ever. And Jeff was on the team, but my riding that day was like one of the days I'll never forget for the, my whole life. And, and, uh, you know, I think it. I got some retribution on the national series by winning uh, motocross of nation. So, you know, it, it 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 worked out the way it was supposed to. It's a bummer, yeah, and I think about it a lot. But you know, it's easy to remember the losses and forget about the wins. You know, I had a lot of wins that year, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, I guess just being a winner, and you know, you become a victim of your own success at times, and. I mean, I, I look back now and go, what an amazing year. Just It sucked that I was a couple points short of a national title again, but still, what a great year. Won a lot of races. I would ask, uh, with the work you put in to get better outdoors, the fitness and all that, uh, did it actually even help you in Supercross a little bit? Did it help you become more well-rounded even for some parts of that game? Well, I think in, in some ways, you know, when you do something at a higher level, your limits always your, – your, your limits always get higher, right? So you're, you're raising the bar even for yourself. Uh, and I think, you know, the, all the things I learned throughout this, that time in my career came into play later when I was trying to keep Carmichael at bay, you know? So I was, I was, I was of course trained quite a lot harder because my limits were higher. I knew I could do more. I could push harder. I could do all these things. And you know, the, it takes 10 years, you know, it took me the whole 10 years to still keep getting better. And so I think, yeah, I think it came into play. And uh, it's like, you know, when you go ride your mountain bike for 30 minutes for a while, then you kind of finally figure out you can ride for an hour. And then you go, oh, well, shit, I guess I can ride for an hour and a half now. Or I can go to climb that hill and that this hill and whatever. So it's the same sort of feeling. And, and all that definitely came into play. That's cool. It's inspiring. 
Yeah, uh, I love, I love, like, look, you're, you're the baddest dude in Supercross, and you got the 72 wins, you got a ton more wins than the next place guy, and all of that. But I love the fact that you're like, oh, in your career, people were like, he can't win outdoors, he's not tough enough, and you're like, watch this. And then you proceeded, <laughs> you proceeded for two years to be the best outdoor motocross racer in the world, and even in 98, when you left the series with your wrist, you were leading the points, you know. Um, yeah, so I just, I like that about your career where people questioned you, and you were like, nah, watch this. And then you, you kicked it. And that's why when we wanted to talk about this race, we wanted to do an outdoor with Jeremy McGrath because that's something no one talks about. Or not no one, but very few. So thank you. Well, and I think the, the cool part about this is I, I love talking about this stuff is because it, people forget. Like what you just said, they, they're they like, oh, yeah, yeah, super car. It's really easy to forget when you're, you know, I was good at the other part of the sport too. So <laughs> it's easy to forget. And I mean, I won, tw- what I, I think I won 28 motocross races or something like that yeah i don't know some some and that's that's no chump change that's pretty good yeah it wasn't <laughs> wasn't dungy or whatever but still i mean if you look at the old school guys i don't know how my records stack up against like hannah and ricky johnson and all of our heroes um you know it's it still wasn't bad so you know i i, I love talking about it it's I think the sense of accomplishment I got out of that was huge. And, and everyone was right. At the end of the day, everyone was right. I needed to be better. I needed to push myself more. But at the same time, it hurts, you know, when people are smack talking and you're winning pretty much everything. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's always funny. It's just how that's just how it is. That's the nature of sports. Yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hey, we, we're doing shows right now trying to pick holes like in Tomac or Webb or Roxon or whoever it is, right? It's, it's, it's the way it always is. And you forget. You know, 20 years from now, it'll be like, why can't these guys be badass like Tomac was? But right now in the moment, we're picking holes in Tomac. You look <laughs> invincible. We look back at you 20, 25 years ago. But back then, people were trying to pick holes in you. And maybe here's why he won't win. It's the same, the same yeah. thing, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's always funny yeah. leading around one a Supercross, right? Because there's always 10 guys that can win round one, but there's only two that can win round two. So yeah. Ooh, yeah. pretty hell how that works. I'm excited Ooh. for the weekend, of course. I always love talking to you guys, so uh, anytime you need me, of course, I'm available. Great. So. Well, thank you for this time. Appreciate it. Absolutely great conversation. Uh, and, yeah, we'll see you at the races, MC. Thanks again, man. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys. Happy New Year, and uh, I'll see you Saturday. Lee at Reraceables, Pro Taper, Maxis, Scott, and, uh, of course, the folks um, at Maxis as well. Well, we, I guess, look, first of all, he's a great interview. He is a yeah, great awesome. interview. Yeah. He is a great dude. Yep, he's a great dude. Great interview, I, greater dude. I'm a big fan of Jeremy McGrath. I know. Okay, so yeah, you know that. Yes. I treasure my moments talking to him in whatever I do. Yep. I have so much respect for him, and I've said this over and over. When I was a greaseball mechanic, he treated me like I was his buddy, and he didn't have to do that because he was Jeremy fucking McGrath, and I was Steve Mathis from Winnipeg, Canada, greasy. greasy yeah, that is greasy amazing. mechanic, and yeah. the guy was the coolest. Right. Anyways, all right. That's on, a good point, though. On to my other point. Okay. I guess when you've won as many races as you do, even though this is his first outdoor big bike win, yeah, they kind of all blend together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jeremy wasn't big on specifics. In no, this not interview. a lot of data. <laughs> right. Deep in, it was more the philosophy yeah, of what it yeah, represented. Yeah. And, and you know like what? That. We'll cut him some slack. I was, I was looking for hey in th- turn three. Yeah. I really had that good line. Remember, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it was. Uh, He's won a hundred some races total, right? Right. right. They, they so, tend to blend together. Yeah. Um, he talked quite a bit about the guys that doubted him, and a, a lot of he thought was coming from when you win so much, people get tired of it. Yeah. 
Here was the perspective I had at a fan back as a fan back then. The sport changed to such a ridiculous amount. When you look at 1989 through 1993, you have Rick Johnson and Jeff Ward as the two best guys. Quickly shuffled. Next thing you know, it's Stanton, Bradshaw, and JMB. And then it's Jeremy McGrath. You had what should have been 10 years worth of turnover in four years. 89 to 93. The entire Stanton, Bale, Bradshaw era was like less than three years. Yeah. Rick Johnson was the guy in 89. Jeremy McGrath was the guy in 93. There was a whole era that only yeah. lasted three seasons. Yeah. It is, I mean, we're still watching, we're still watching Tomac and Roxon still battling. Yeah. This is their seventh year being the best guys in the class or right at the top. Yeah. Stanton's entire career didn't even last that long. Yep. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's nuts when you start thinking about it that way. When you do that math, yeah, we had a whole generation, a whole turnover. So the point I'm making is, for me, it was you knew that Stanton and JMB and Bradshaw were the best riders for a while, right? Yeah. The McGrath takeover was so shocking and so sudden that it like took a while for it to set in of like, is this guy really this good? Like, how could this be? This doesn't make sense. Those are the best riders. How could this dude? So I feel like because of that, there was, as McGrath would use the word, doubts. Like, how is it possible that this guy could be this good? Three years ago, no one had even heard of this dude. He yeah. was like a team green yeah. rider. Yeah. And now he's the best <laughs> supercross rider in the world, and Jeff Stanton and Damon Bradshaw cannot beat him? Right. That right. doesn't make any sense at all. So I think that's where a lot of the, ah, but wait, he can't win outdoors. See? He's not that good. I think that's where a lot of it came from. It was so... It was just amazing. It so was, amazing yeah, that you yeah. couldn't wrap your head around yeah. it, and you're like, there has to be a catch here. Oh, the, I know the catch. He can't win outdoors. And it turned out that was all wrong, uh, and he really was one of the best, if not the best, motocross, motorcycle, superstar athlete riders ever. That's yeah. all it was. Yeah. He was just freaking yeah. really good. It was just, yeah, it was just the force of nature coming in. Yes. What, uh, what was your admission? Here, you didn't tell Jeremy. That I was also one of the ones that was yeah. like, yeah, see, he's not that good. Yeah. He can't even win outdoors. And, you know, Stanton was still into it, and Bale hadn't retired, and if Bradshaw hadn't gotten burned out, that's garbage. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy McGrath is just fucking I, good. Sorry. I remember in 96 was my first year as a mechanic, and he was dominant outdoors and, yeah. and indoors, of course, too. Yeah. But I remember being like, I love it. I love it. He's showing these dudes. Okay. I, I love the yeah. fact that he's just crushing these guys when they said he couldn't do it. Yep. Obviously, he got in shape. As he just told us, a yeah. big thing was getting in yeah. shape yeah. Um, You know, for the whole motos and everything yep. else. But the skill and the talent were all there. Bike was great, of course. But I remember being like, this is rad. I never had that sort that of hang up. No, I was yeah. like, that's awesome. Yeah. Everyone said he couldn't do it, and I thought it was rad. So, yeah, yeah, and I was yeah. – I was- I was really one of those ones. It was like, this doesn't yeah. make any... This, this data is not computing that this guy's winning this much. There's got to be something wrong here. Yeah. And I was trying to find any hole that I could poke in it. And clearly, that's what the press was doing. Yeah. And he was hearing that. Not from me. I was just some fan watching on TV. <laughs> but he was hearing other people feel that way, and that just fueled them to win even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, at the end of the year, Emig finishes second in points to him, which... Yeah. LaRocco turns his knee up, right? Yeah, uh, uh, Henry crashes out. Henry crashes out spectacular. Uh, Kurdowski retires at the end of this year. Yeah, just because Brian Lunas told him to, even though he was still a bad dude. Yeah, he probably got third in the series. I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and just yeah. retires because. Ah, you only got third. You're done. Yeah, you're, you're garbage, Mike. <laughs> so you know, it was a little bit of a change of the guard too, as far as that goes. Yes. Uh, he, he goes. Um, so he has this Gainesville win. Then he goes to Hangtown like a month later, two months later. 
as we said, he got sixth. Then he wins, gets third at high point, but wins the second loto, goes 9 1. Then yeah. he rips off two wins in a row, and, and it's just the, the rest of them are just domination. So, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And they would try to give him a run here and there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it was his year. Right. And like I said, 96, as he could have, should have, would have been his year also. I don't believe he went to the Motocross Nations in 95. No, he just didn't. Yeah. Just didn't There's go. No reason. Like, he just didn't. Yeah, he just didn't yeah. go. It was it was Lampson, it was Emig, and it was Dowd or Larocco in Slovakia or something. No, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been Larocco. It was Dowd. Was it? That wasn't the year they put Rhino on a 500, was it? No. I think it was. 95? Yeah. Because they had this problem, right, where you had to have a 500 yeah. racer. We didn't yep. have a 500 series. Yep. So you just had to find some Cowie guy. It had to be a guy in a Cowie, right? Yeah, it was, it was Rhino. Because they had this KX500 just sitting in the Cowie race shop to be used once a year. Yeah, I remember that, but I didn't think it was yeah. this year. I, I, I thought it was Rhino, who had been a 125 rider. Uh, yeah, why McGrath didn't... I don't know. Uh, I think he just... Just didn't want to? I just think he didn't want to. Uh, I mean, this yeah, is one of your rants. I'm sorry, it was Rhino. Yeah, this is Lamps, one of your rants. Lampson, Emig, Rhino. That dudes have skipped motocross yeah, nations. Yeah, many yeah, times. yeah. Whenever everybody gets on yep. Tomac right now, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. The, the best riders, riders in the world bowed out. Yeah, he was the 250 uh, national yeah. motocross champ, and he right. just didn't race it. And he didn't go. And 97 yeah. on Suzuki, they asked him to, and he said, "I'm not riding that well enough. I don't want to go." Yeah. And in 92, Bradshaw and Stanton and Kardowski said, "Nope, I don't want to go to Australia." Yeah. Happened lots of times. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, there's no, there's precedent for this. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, he just doesn't go. <laughs> That's what's crazy about. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lampson, Emig, and Rhino go, and I think it's Slovakia that year. Then 96, of course, Jeremy brought it up. That was the year that they went to Spain and whooped yeah, everybody. Yeah, crushed it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and again, so McGrath gets third in 94. He wins 95. He should have won 96. He was the best rider. We talked about it, pulling out of Washougal. He was crushing it, tried to do the tabletop at, at Millville, hurt himself. But 96 title, I mean, he you got to give it to Fro. He straight up beat him at Steel City. Yeah, yeah, you know, one of the most clutch rides ever. But yep. if Emmett, or if Jeremy had not pulled off at Washougal, he would have got his 10 points or whatever, and it would have been a lot easier to come Steel yeah. City. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, awesome for Fro. Yep. That's one of the all-time clutch yep. performances. Yeah. But uh, it is amazing here, Jeremy. He's always been consistent. That's the biggest regret yeah. uh, of, his, of his career, that he didn't get that one. But he was a bad dude outdoors. And then, yeah, after that, he switches to Suzuki. Who knows? He could have won more outdoor titles. Yep. But that bike was uh, – I think he had thrown in the towel. Yeah, but then he comes back in 98. Leads and points. he leads points, yep. breaks his wrist. Yep. And then he never yep. really came back. So the only reason we're not looking at him having, you know, an epic number of wins outdoors and titles like he did in Supercross was because of these kind of circumstances, you know? Probably would have won 96. That would be another one. Probably yeah. would have won 98. That would be another one. Yep. You and know? the Suzuki year was obviously yeah. a big mess. Right. Uh, it, it's, it's Hashtag Wyatt Seals. Hashtag. Wow. Yeah. Wow. One of the all-time. Uh, also cut his foot that summer. Remember that was the big Yeah, big, yeah, yeah. The, big, the cutting of the foot controversy. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Did you – when's the first time you went to Gainesville? Uh, believe it or not, uh, I never went there for the National. Oh. Uh, I rode there a few times. Just uh, – I can't even remember what the circumstances were. Some ride days, I guess, around Daytona time. Okay. It's been early 2000s. Yeah, okay. Rode it a couple times. Never went for a National. Never road tripped it or anything. You were working no, at, because – Weren't you working at Disney at some point? Yeah, but when did it end? 97 was last year. Yeah, so that would have been a little young for okay. me to, okay. to be able to road trip. That was not Epcot Center with chicks? That would have been a year later. Oh, that would have been a year two. later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been epic. Yeah, you could have brought epic. some of those chicks from the, Euro from chicks. the German All uh, the Euro chicks. Germany yeah. and, and uh, Italian chicks. Yeah. And uh, they all lived here. In the, if you go to Epcot, everybody, yeah. Yeah. they have the countries, right? They even got Canada. They do have Canada, yep. yep. 
Uh, so there's a, I, I was a janitor, and here is what I had up my sleeve, because I was from America. I had a car, mm-hmm. and the, all the European girls did not. Yeah. So if they wanted to go anywhere... They only had one recourse. They only got the janitor. The American guy. The American, yeah, the American janitor with the janitor. Car. Yep. And look, the janitor staff was a bunch of 60-year-old guys and me. So you know who they're going to prefer. Yep. Oh, yep. it's good times. Now, these chicks lived on campus, or where did they live? Yeah, we had an apartment complex for the American okay. college students, yep. and then a separate apartment complex for the Euros. So most didn't know each other. I was the lucky American to work with the Euros. Ah, so yeah. I had the in. Yeah. And another cool thing is they don't have Halloween in Europe like okay. we do here. Yep. So they were so pumped to have an American Halloween. So they needed me to like inform them, like, how does Halloween work? We, yeah. we always wanted to do you this. Dress super slutty. Yeah, I mean that was a lot of my advice. Right. Oh, it's right. gonna be a good time, right. girls. Yeah. We definitely <laughs> want to make sure this is epic. Uh, it was good times. They have judgment. They'll judge you. They'll haul you off to jail if you're not if, <laughs> if you're, you're not sh- hot. You're yeah. not showing enough skin. Yeah. So, uh, but that, unfortunately, that was '98. So I missed the Gainesville. The Gainesville yeah. National. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Liet, thanks to Liet for making this re-raceables happen. Pro Taper Maxis, Scott Goggles as well. Uh, of course, um, we've got a categories coming up as well. A couple things about this race, too. I love, if you go through old cycle news mm-hmm. and you go through uh, old vault and everything else, I just can't get enough of the rando dudes showing up and, like, doing really well. Whether it's <laughs> whether it's Mike Healy, you know. Coming, winning a moto? Winning a moto. What the heck? Whether it's, uh, I can't even think of some, like, just uh, Everett's, Josh Coppins, um you know, these yeah. guys just showing up out of nowhere. Yeah, and there's this one is full of them. This one is full of them. Ronnie Tishner comes up. Okay. He, Ronnie Tishner is in there. Where is he at at this point in his career? This is Japan Ronnie, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I think it's just Japan Ronnie. Obviously, right. he's from Florida. Yep. 14-6 on the day. Number 114 wearing, I 114? think, wind gear. 114. No way. Yeah, 114. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. number. Right. Good yeah, number. Right. So, you know, you just show up out of nowhere. You're like, oh, Tishner. Uh, the ultimate one in the 125s <laughs> might be Guy Cooper. What in tarnation? He'd already been retired, yes. and he just comes out and, yeah, just UFO puts, gear, RM125, yeah, of course. Puts it in the top 10. Um, Dude almost leads second moto. Yeah. Him and Craig Decker are battling for the lead. Decker falls. Cooper leads. He's probably like, okay, he wasn't 40 yet, but yeah. in motocross years of that time, yep. it must have been ancient. Yep. Yeah, um, he, he leads for a little while. Guy Mike Cooper. Healy was here at this race. Uh, he dislocated his thumb in the oh, first turn. Okay. So he was there. Um, some guy named Tim Ferry raced. Yeah. Ninth. Went down hard oh, okay. in the second moto, they said, but still got up because that's what champions do. Be a, would he have been a Gainesville specialist or not necessarily? I don't think so. No. We could no. get him on, but he, it, yeah. he would offer us nothing interesting. He would not remember anything. No. Um, Timmy Rich, won a national this year, though. Yeah. High point. High point. Yeah. Uh, Rich Taylor's got the helmet cam on, ex-brand goggles. Yeah. He's got the helmet yeah. cam on, following yeah. everybody around, yeah. just dusty, rocky, looks shitty. So yeah, just, this looks garbage. The conditions are terrible. Right. So that's pretty funny. Joel Smets is here. What the heck? Joel Smets, I this guess. This is like at his zenith. Like No, not yet. I don't think no? this is Smets at his zenith. You don't I, think? I, I was right. at KTM in 01, and when he was champ, I think he came over to oh, Southwick. Okay. Right. That was more a zenith. Oh, that was a big right. deal. He was coming up He was in coming 95. up, though, in, in right. 95, And would he have been on a four-stroke? Yeah, he was on a Hoosaberg, they said in this race. Whoa. First of all, how is that homologated? A Hoosaberg motocross bike. Yeah, in 95. <laughs> yeah, right? How is that homologated? Uh, they had 400 is, of these. Is this and... Roy running this program? I mean, they were stuck. To, you got a rule book, bro. I'd like to see if the Hoosaberg was somehow homologated in 1995. They had 400 units on... Dealership floors for for Smiths. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Kevin Window makes his uh, debut um, uh, for Yamaha Outdoors. 
Yeah. Doesn't go well. Doesn't go no, well. No, he goes 12, over the bars. 12-15. He so, goes over the bars. Okay. Yeah. It was a pretty good crash if you watch the show. Uh, I didn't watch yeah. 125s. Um, yep. I did watch 250s. So, um, some guy named Pingree gets seventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pingree and Mike Brown battling it out. Yeah. The, the collision. It's just amazing. Uh, like, the, the riders that you wouldn't think, like, were uh, the same era. Yeah. Because Brown just always seems yeah. so damn old. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, this is always good. Uh, Denny Stevenson, uh, Debo, is there. 22nd overall for him. This is right at the end of his deal. I think this is his last year riding Suzuki's. Okay. Uh, um, I think he was a – yeah, next year he was at Great Western Bank and didn't ride the outdoor. So uh, so many characters. Yeah, it's great. One. When you just go through it, it's just – it's amazing. Yep. So there's also a photo in um, Cycle News of the start. No, sorry. It's on the broadcast. It's on the broadcast. There's a guy on a Suzuki – Next to Jeremy. <laughs> on the gate. On the gate. Yeah. For the first moto. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 170 or 107. I don't know what it is. I'm just like, and some weird gear. Yeah. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? How does he get next to Jeremy McGrath? Yeah. So I send the photo to Jeremy. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Right after we got off the phone. Yeah. Then I send it to a group text with some Florida guys in it. Mm-hmm. You may or may not have heard of. And they immediately hit me back. Anthony Pokoroba. <laughs> and I'm like, Pokey. <laughs> so they said, they even had more information. Uh, he won the morning qualifier over Dowd. Wait, this did not come from Cycle News? No. Your scouts told you My this. My scouts told wow, me that. Oh, your Florida they, scouts. They said the crowd was going nuts because Pokey was a Florida guy. Okay. And Leading be, that qualifier. And he beat factory, rider, factory Yamaha rider John Dowd. He beat Dowd. Yeah. In oh the morning qualifier. Why is Dowd in the morning qualifier? Because he would have. Dowd finished second in points the previous year. He straight up, 1994. Okay, he finished second. Uh, my in the source, uh, you have a great point there. I never. Ch- okay, we know Pokeroba won it. Wow, maybe he didn't beat Dowd. <laughs> Are you doubting all this now? I'm doubting everything. He now. got McGrath. He got no, a no, gate no. Next yeah, to- yeah. To get McGrath, you would have had to get pretty. You would have to been, you know, a pretty top good ten. Yeah, or yeah, 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 yeah. So they seed the top ten. This is so the he first had 11th round. Gate well, no, but this is the first round. So who knows who's not there from the 94 top ten? Yeah, you could have yeah, an even right. better gate. Yeah, yeah. You know okay. what I mean? Okay. So yep. Yeah, like. Pokeroba. You know what I'm doing here? Uh, you're going to do some research. I'm pissed that my sources told me that. I mean, Dowd got second in points, so there's no reason Dowd could be in. Okay. 90, 94, top 10. LaRocco, Dowd, Thank Jeremy, you. Kordowski, Swink, not there. Stanton, not there. Lewis was there. Button, not there. Larry Ward was there. Brooks was there. Brooks was not there. One, two, three. Pokey probably had seventh gate pick. Okay. Yeah. Kind of checks out. Yeah. Yeah. That he won the qualifier. Maybe not over Dowd, but Still, somebody good. So, uh, so Wait. Then, 125 guys aren't automatically in, right? Like Emig and No, Dowd. no, no. No, they got a ride. It's probably Emig then. Oh, yeah. He beat a Yamaha guy. Right. Not Dowd, but Emig. A factory Yamaha guy probably beat Emig. That's you, still pretty thank, rad. Thank you for doing the research. Probably that happened. Yes. Um, so, Pokoroba next to Jeremy McGrath. He beats Henry and Emig then. Yeah. Does he beat Albi also? Well, no, no, because there's two morning qualifiers. Oh, yeah, there was, two, there was okay. two morning qualifiers. Right. I know that from my time racing the Nationals each. <laughs> Having a qualifier. Uh, yeah, there was two morning qualifiers and an LCQ. Your guys were not top 10 in points? No. Your guys were not top no, 10 in no. points? Okay. No, I mean, no, no, I mean me racing Nationals. Me racing oh, five oh, Nationals. Your two time. morning qualifiers your and time. an LCQ. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do know that. So Let's do erasables on that. Yeah, <laughs> means six time. Wow, yeah. We, lining, we up. Time up. lining up. Lining uh, up. Anyway, so Pokeroba crashes out uh, both motos. Then he go. Then I said to Jeremy on our group text, I said, "That's Pokeroba," and then Jeremy hits up Brazilian national champion. That was impressive, right? Which he is. Pokey went down to Brazil, '98, and stayed down there for a long time and made a lot of money. Okay. Um, and then I believe one of my sources named Schmation Schmamis 
on that same text about Pokey said that he saw Pokey two years ago at a race eating a popsicle under a tree. Okay. Yep. So, so we got to – where are they now? Yeah, where are they now with Pokey Robo? Recently seen. And I have a story about Pokey that I cannot share okay. on the three raceables okay. that happened with a friend of mine and Pokey. I'm not going to say. Yeah. Did I ever tell you this? No. Oh, okay. No, I just – the jokes just roll so easily here, but I'm yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so Pokey Robo – I'm not going to say anything about a guy named Pokey with this story. Good dude. Okay. Good dude. A little loose. All right. And uh, and a good dude. And uh, so this was Pokoroba in 95, next to McGrath. Good trivia knowledge for Jeremy McGrath to know that Pokoroba raced in Brazil. Because, again, as you, to your point, McGrath could have not cared about anybody, and he would have been just fine. So good for McGrath, too. We each, they don't make them like that anymore. They just don't. Uh, all right. Lee at Re-Raceables. Let's get into the 125s real quickly. We talked about a few guys who lined up, but Robbie Renard races and wins. Uh, comes off an injury. and yeah, Roy himself Roy the... Opening Supercross. Right. Roy Turner's in here um, saying, I can't believe it. The kid comes off shoulder surgery. Yeah. Imagine that. Shoulder, shoulder and, surgery. And he pulls this off. And then Renard is quoted as saying, wait till I'm 100%. I'm not even 100% yet. Bold words from Robbie Renard. Well, that was kind of, unfortunately for Renard, that was kind of true. Yeah. Like when he was 100%, yeah. he did kick ass, but yeah. he wasn't 100%. Uh, Lammy's bike breaks. Lammy wins the first moto. Yeah. Uh, Damon Huffman. This is Huffy, number 12, Axel. Looking good on Suzuki. Oh, don't worry. I'll be, I'll be mentioning that. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, and then again, Tim Ferry's there as well. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's Gainesville '95. Uh, impressive start to McGrath's uh, dominance that ran three years or so, and just the man indoors and out. So uh, uh, Lampson would end up winning that 125 title, but he got hurt and uh, missed early rounds. And Huffman and Hughes were way ahead of him in points. And Lamy puts together this oh, great he puts on a comeback. Come- I think he was 60 points down, and he tracks down Huffman, who was actually the points leader most of the year, and then. Uh, Leads to that epic Steel City with him and Rhino, where Lampson had it, and Rhino's chain broke. Rhino's chain did not break when he was leading the points. Move but on. Rhino pushed his bike across the line. Okay. That that season, that photo we've seen came from this year. Right. Also, yeah. shout out to, to Todd DeHoop with the whole shot in Moto2, I believe, on the two videos. DeHoop, quickly, okay. quickly had the whole yeah. shot there. Shout out to Honda Troy Rider uh, DeHoop. Yep. All right, Lee at re-raceables categories. Uh, here we go. Let's do it. Who really won the race? I'm tempted to say Guy Cooper. Really? Nah, just because that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's awesome. I'm sure he sent it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he sent uh, it. But I'm and I'm tempted to if if Albie had gone like two two, I might have said Albie because that's a statement. Yeah, you know that's a statement. Yeah. He led the first motor yep. for a little bit, yep. then he gets second. Yep. But I'll go Jeremy McGrath. He was the man. Yeah. Well, we 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 try and we fail usually to avoid making the winner of the race to winner of the race yep. in our book. So I am actually going to go with the Albie option. Okay. Because I believe he was being disrespected, and the Americans did not think that he was going to be any good. And yes, JMB had kicked everybody's ass five years earlier, but I think it was like, but that's Jean-Michel Bale. There's only one of those. None of these guys are just going to walk over here and do this. And I feel like just the fact that he was fast proved, okay, I guess he's good, regardless yeah. of the result. Yeah. And there was one of my favorite moments. Albie's kind of a Cindy kind of guy. Yep. Yep. Doug Henry, Cindy. little Cindy. Yep. I think it's the beginning of Moto2. Those two are battling. There's the jump uphill, the finish line. They come out of the corner before that, and there's like a little table. Yep. And they are both completely sideways and about to crash into each other, and they do not lift. <laughs> and I, I always remember seeing that clip, and I'm like, 
those are two guys that know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, I'm out of control, and I will hold it pinned, and I will also be holding it pinned <laughs> because Albie and Henry, that was them. Yeah. Like, I am sending it, and yep. it, you think you're going to pass me easily? Yep. Hell no. I don't remember the rest of Albie's rookie year. He gets 10th in the points. Obviously, he's hurt somewhere along yeah, the line. Yeah, I think he broke his wrist eventually. It was only okay. Yeah, I don't remember any other rides like Gainesville. Nothing right? quite that like that. Right. But I do think that was a byproduct, that Orphan National, right? Again, if you're Albie and you get hurt in the first couple of Supercrosses, uh-huh. you're probably like putting a little more effort into, let me just get to Gainesville and I'll show them what I got, where the, maybe the guys that are battling in Supercross points maybe weren't as interested. It always opened the door for that. If you really want to come in ready, I'm assuming you could get the jump on people. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, Which we see happen. Even now. Even now. Even yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. The guys who don't race Supercross for an injury, sometimes they come out flying at the opener. Right. That kind of thing. Um, okay. So, uh, Liette Re-Raceable's categories. Uh, McGrath really won the race. I say, you say, Albie. Yep. Uh, the next one, next category is, who's that guy? And there's certainly a few choices. Um, but I'm going to go 250 class. Okay. A gentleman named Brian Austin. Not Brian Austin Green. <laughs> just Brian Austin. Rolls off the tongue. Gets 19th in Moto2 behind Smets and Brian Manley and Rich Taylor and Dog Boys and, and Jeff DeMint and, and, uh, and all these guys. I don't know who Brian Austin is. I'm going to look him up in the vault right now as we, as we speak. He rides a Honda. And, um, again, I don't even know where he's from or anything. But he gets two points. And as a failed pro rider, um, I can relate. So we got Paul... Austin and Brian Austin, both from Rochester, New York, so they must be brothers. Okay. Brian Austin, wow. He rides 125 Supercross in 87. What? And then in 95, he gets a point. He gets 19 points. Eight years later. Yeah. Okay. Good job. Yep. Brian Austin, never heard of the dude. Uh, So that's my who's that guy. And mine will be right behind him in the overall. David Gaylord out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Finished right behind. I've heard of David Gaylord. Oh, you have? Yep. Okay, yeah, I've not I have, heard of David yeah. Gaylord. Right. Austin, 22nd overall, Gaylord, 23rd. And what I like about these shows, usually when we have our Who's That Guy, somebody hits us up on Twitter, DM, and tells us who these guys are. It's kind yeah. of a cool thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Lit Kid Award. Go ahead. No, you go first. Oh. I got a lot to say on Lit Kid here. Okay, so yeah. I was going to go, initially watching YouTube, grainy YouTube footage. Yeah. I was going to go with uh, Jeremy McGrath. It's yep. the yellow, red, black Fox stuff. I have it here in the studio somewhere up there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah. looking good, Red Riders, 100 Collect, you know, yep. that whole era. And it is a good look. But then I saw a photo of Robbie Renard from this race. Oh, okay. 22 Yep. on a Cowie. Yep. Fox gear. It was green. It was blue. It was purple. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a um, lot of bad purple in this Roos era. Roost too, you know, yeah. uh, yep. uh, and cool helmet. I'll go Robbie Renard. I really liked Robbie Renard's uh, kit this race. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, that, that's that's my chick uh, for Lit Kit Award. Robbie Renard, Fox Gear. Okay, my Lit Kit. Not just for this event. Not just for Gainville oh. 95. Oh. I believe my all-time Lit for, Kit. Forever. The littest kit of all time is Damon Huffman. Oh, God. Really? This AXO stuff was looking good, and Huffman's style was great. Yeah. Huffman had great style. Yep. Yep. The gear looked good. I'm partial to number 12. It's part of my birth date. I was a Suzuki guy growing up. The look of the gear, the bike, the number, the riding style. 
You got Cycle News in front of you? Yeah. Oh, there is a photo of yeah. Huffman. Yeah, there's a great photo. Uh, over of that, uh, I think it's that same jump I was talking about leading to the finish line. Yeah. It is creme no. de la creme of gear and style. But God, is he looking Okay, good. wait a minute, though. The uh, graphics of the Suzuki are ugly. No, they the graphics sucked. And but the, in that photo, you don't see him that good. And the upside-down number plate for the for, for right side-up forks. That was hot back then. People not, thought that no, was that rad. that was not a good look. People, they didn't even have production conventional forks at that time. That was works only. But That was even hotter. What color was it at this race? Do you remember? Because he he wore some dark blue axle stuff that looked pretty good. In the grainy YouTube footage, okay. uh, there's like it's it's like grayish and then a lot of yellow. Yeah. And he's wearing the Pentagon. He's remember the, pen, Pentagon, the Pentagon yeah. chest yep. pro, which looked yep. good. Yep. Yeah. So this Huffman's is just axle. your lick kit for life. For life, man. I didn't know this. And I'll say he carried it through like he went to Cowie next couple of years. I still feel like Axo was yeah, on point through good. those Cowie yeah, years. Yeah, you still look good. Axo, I'll give you that. We think of that Axo peak, you know, of being Stanton and, and Bradshaw, which would have ended 93-ish. Yeah. But they kept it going. They kept it going. Yeah. Yeah, I just I felt like the look. Huffman looked good on a bike. Uh, Tim Ferry also looked good. I don't even know what he wore this race. But no idea. What was even his gear in that year? This would have been UFO. Would have been UFO. Was it lit? I don't know. He said they gave him... Twenty grand, and they shipped all the gear for the year to his house in the beginning of the year, and he carry it each week. No gear guy. No, no, no UFO gear guy. Not of a gear guy. No, everything was yeah. made. Everything was in a huge box. He had to take it each week. <laughs> Tim Ferry, everybody. I want to see that cycle news photo, Huffman. I mean, it's it, it's, uh, it's it's like open Maxim magazine from 1995. <laughs> it looks so good. Uh, where's JT? He's at this race. He's sure. I'm yeah. cheering Pokeroba. Cheering Pokeroba on <laughs> to beat Emig or Dowd. We don't know. Yes. Probably Emig. He's there. So yeah. We learned of another celebrity that was in the crowd watching a young man who would later go on to win races. Just talked to him today. Oh, yeah. Davey Millsaps yeah. is there. Yeah. Eight years old or seven years old or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Davey yeah. Millsaps. Yeah. Davey Millsaps said he was there watching. Yep. yep. 95 uh, Gainesville, everybody. Yeah. Uh, the Jacob Marsak Award, it is for the award for the guy who did the best that maybe you uh, have no idea about or you've never thought about or whatever. And again, it's, you know, um, just guys that were forgotten that, that put together great points uh, at this race. Um, what do you got, Weech? You got, you got anybody that stands out? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out a moto score uh, that really stands out. Um, Brian Manley gets ninth okay, that was in the g- first moto? That was going to be mine. That's pretty old for Brian Manley. Because, yeah, Brian Manley's peak was gone. Dude, his peak was like 88, 87? Yeah, yeah. yeah, This is seven years later? Right. Ninth in a moto is legit. (laughs) Yes, but it goes back to my point that the Nationals, it was getting better. It was getting better. But the Nationals were not even close to what they are now as far as the depth of the field. And I know people are going to come at me, and they're going to say 1985 – 1985 was crazy, and that is true if you look at Supercross, where we were barely having a 125 class, or when we had it, it was just privateers, and everybody raced 250 Supercross together. But when the Nationals came, there were years where the classes, we had three classes racing, Steve. There were races where there was 125, 250, yeah. and 500. Yeah. They split all the factory teams in third. Mm-hmm. So it was only starting to build a deep group, and I feel like it happened. Like uh, Apparently the door was open for someone like Brian Manley, Ninth. Ninth. That's good for Brian Manley. Um, so that might be the Jacob Marsak Award. You could maybe go Tishner, but, I mean, Tishner was a bad dude. Yeah. Great rider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get six, even though he was yep. not a full-time racer in America, uh, yeah. I'll go Manley. You going to take Manley? Yep. Yeah, I yep. think that's pretty good. There we go. Yeah. Ninth in the first moto. What did he yeah. do second moto? Not much, but. Um. Uh, did he get points? Nine seventeen. 
Okay, that's yeah. a pretty good day. Yeah. It wasn't like he was spent and no. couldn't go to the game. No, 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 absolutely yeah. not. Yep. Uh, so Jacob Marsak Award will go to Brian Manley. We'll give him that. A good job um, for Brian Manley. Yeah, top 10. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right, that's been the Lee at Reraceables. For 95 Gainesville, Jeremy McGrath's first ever big bike outdoor win, the first of many. Thank you to Jeremy for jumping on. It is funny, by the way, to hear, we joked with him about this. Uh, Honda went all out. They got him a practice mechanic. Yeah. But we got to split him yeah. between yeah. both of you guys. Yeah. Let's yeah. not get yeah. crazy yeah. here. Let's not get crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, amazing how the sport has. And by the way, people will tell you that the 90s was peak. It was awesome. I will even hear occasionally people say the sport is shrinking and the sport is dying. Stop it. Right. It was amazing that Honda had a practice mechanic. Now every single rider, essentially, it's a practice mechanic. Yeah. It's pretty rare. Not every single, but yeah. what, 80% of the yeah. factory riders? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 80. I'd, I'd go higher. A factory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Star doesn't do it. Right. That's about it. Yeah. But that's a lot of riders. Right. At Star. But I'm just saying, like, things are much more sophisticated. It has come a very long way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so thanks to Jeremy McGrath for jumping on. Thank you, people, for listening. Pro Taper, Scott, Maxis, all on board with us. Um, of course, all those products be, uh, being used uh, now today by many racers. And also thanks to Liat, man. Couldn't do it without those guys. They've been, they've been great for us. And so, again, if you need a code for Liat, hit me up on the, uh, on the email, and I will get you a code to save at Liat.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Jeremy McGrath. Thanks, Weege. Thanks, Jeremy. Always a pleasure. It's awesome to get him on here. That was great.